And thank you, everybody. It's so good to see each of you. And just uh, so many of you reached out with such encouragement and prayers. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that. So uh, see so many friends here. And I'm so very, very grateful. And I'm just looking forward to what the Lord wants to say um, to us tonight. Because it's really he's, uh, he's the one who brings the message. And he puts, a, it's, it puts it in us so that we can share it with you guys. And uh, I just really felt like when Hazen reached out to me, I don't know, probably six or eight weeks ago, and said, hey, would you be interested in joining with me in a series? And what do you hear the Lord saying? And I just really felt like the Lord was um, speaking about shame. And uh, I don't know if it's so popular anymore, but when I was younger, if you made a mistake in school, or maybe not a mistake, but you did something that the teacher didn't like, or even if you were, uh, even if you were with your friends, it was a common saying for after you did something for them to say, "Well, shame on you." And it was it wasn't until later in life that I thought, you know, that's really a terrible thing to say um, to someone. And when I was preparing this message, I just kept hearing the Lord say, "Shame off you." Shame off you. Shame off my kids. Shame off my children. And I believe that there's, a, there's breakthrough in that area tonight. Um, what would your year look like? What would 2020 look like for you if you could wake up tomorrow and have no shame? For it to be totally gone. All shame, all regret, all guilt. What would you wake up and do tomorrow morning different than today? And see, the enemy knows that, which is why he tries to bring, put that on us. And the Lord is saying, no, no more. I think all of us can struggle with shame. My mouth's a little dry, so I'm going to have a little sip of my hibiscus berry berry refresher. Thank you. <laughs> I think all of us can have shame over us for different reasons. I do believe, however, that there is maybe a temperament, a personality, um, personality type maybe that is more prone to shame. And when I was studying, I'm going to be out of Luke 15 today. I'm going to talk about the prodigal son and the elder brother and the father with the emphasis on the father. Um, but when I was preparing for this, I thought, you know, really there's two different kinds of people. I think most people fall in these two categories, at least in what I'm going to be sharing. And one, there's people who no matter what they do, never feel like they are doing it good enough. And then there's other people who feel like that they're actually always doing a little bit better than what they actually are. In our family, we have two in each category. There's two of us who feel like we're never getting it good enough and then there's two of us who feel like, yeah, we've always got it good. And if you know us well, you know that it is Alicia and Jeff 
who feel like that they are never quite reaching the bar that they've set for themselves. And it's Landon and I who are pretty sure that we have just blown away the bar, that we've got this. And of course, as most things in the spiritual realm, there's, there's a nice, happy medium to be found. And I, I told my kids that I was going to talk, talk about them a little bit because they so just illustrate what I want to talk about perfectly. But I said that one of those personalities is more prone to shame, um, more prone to perfectionism. Um, and I'm com- completely speaking hypothetically here. But when I had Alicia... I was uh, I was young. I was like a kid with a kid, and I was so mesmerized by how she behaved and how she thought because she was very different than me. And I remember that when she was a toddler, we would take her to Olive Garden, and she would order the kids' cheese pizza. And as she would eat it, she didn't like the crust, and she would eat eat each piece, and then she would put just the crust back exactly how it came on the plate. And I would just sit there and watch that. So when the server came back to gather her plate, it would just be one perfect circle of crust. And I just remember thinking, okay, like what is her mind? And um, she's so meticulous, and the Lord is going to use this because there are, there's such strength in that, and there is, striving for excellence. What I also saw, though, is as she was getting a little bit older, that she was very hard on herself. That meticulousness had kind of overtaken to where if she never got it quite perfect, she felt like she had failed, and so the Lord showed me, you're, you're going to have to help shape and mold this because it's, it's going to be awesome that she's going towards excellence, but it's not going to be so awesome that she never feels like that she's doing it good enough. So I would have all these uh, conversations with her and tell her, um, listen, only Jesus is perfect. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Only Jesus is perfect. He's not going to share that spot with you. It's okay. It's okay to give your best and to strive for excellence, but you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to feel ashamed for when you don't get it exactly right. And I'm happy to report that my daughter doesn't really struggle with that anymore. And you might say it was because of all your excellent sermons, I can tell you what fixed her, me having Landon. That's what cured it. That's what cured it because Landon came out and was completely different. And his crust was, you know, piled, you know, it was some on the floor and some in the booth and some thrown at me or Jeff. And he he came out completely different. And uh, in fact, if you struggle like with OCD or perfectionism or anything, just hang out with Landon for a little bit. He, he can help you with that. <laughs> There's like so many examples going through my head. <laughs> I need to pick one. I know which one I want to give. 
So Landon, on the other hand, and there is a point to all these stories. We're going to get into the scripture, and you're going to, you're going to find yourself in the scripture and maybe even in, in these examples. So Landon comes out very different, and he goes to school. And he's, I think, in like maybe first grade. <laughs> and... <laughs> And he's going to Collinsville Christian School, which is over across the street from the IHOP campus. And he comes home, and on Fridays, they would send all the papers home that they had done that week, their tests, their quizzes. Um, it would all come home on fr- Friday. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I can't tell stories when I get tickled. <laughs> and so... <laughs> He brings his notebook home, and there's like a stack of like 25 or 30 papers. And he had to use pencil, and of course, the teacher used red pen. And so I was seeing like, you know, in red pen that he'd made an 88 on this and a 94 on that, and he'd made 100 a couple of times. He, you know, made an 80. But then there was this giant red circle at the top of every paper with like a little paragraph underneath. And so when I looked closer, I realized that this red circle circled the number 100 that had been written in pencil. And the note said, please have Landon quit grading his own papers. And so Landon, after he would finish his test, would take his pencil up to the top and give himself a (laughs) hundred. And what the best part of the story is, (laughs) is that when I went through these papers, (laughs) some of the answer lines were blank. He hadn't even attempted to put the right answer and was still completely convinced that he had made a 100. (laughs) And so I had to sit him down and tell him, you can't grade yourself. (laughs) The teacher gets to decide. But the point of all of that is, is that the Lord makes us so completely different. And so some of us are going to find ourselves in this story about the prodigal son, and we're going to be different people. And what I saw this week when I was studying is that we can be all of the people in the story at different times and in different seasons. And so in Luke 15, verse 11, it says, And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And I just want to say the first man he mentions is who we're going to talk about. He is the hero of this story. It's called the prodigal son story. It should be really called the the kindness of the father story. Like there is nothing about either one of these boys that is newsworthy. I mean, it's really not. And that's okay. It is the dad. You know, the fact that somebody leaves home and runs out of money and comes back home when they're out is not really a miracle. You know, that probably happens all the time. And the fact that another kid at home is mad about it, that's not really going to make the five o'clock news either. The reason we love the story is because of the dad in the story. 
so thankful for the Lord. So it says, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. You know, it, that would have been so insulting to that dad, especially back then. You know, in essence, he said, I am interested in what you can offer me. In fact, his first two words was, Father, give me. Give me. That dad had to have been brokenhearted. I don't want to stick around for a relationship with you. I just want what's coming to me. But you know what? The Lord, the, the, the father agreed. He agreed to it. And back then, as I was reading and I was studying, that father, that inheritance would have been uh, wrapped up in land. It would have been wrapped up in property. So it wasn't even that he's asking this, this dad to give him a sum of money that maybe he can, like, recoup the next year in work. He, he's, giving him, he's giving him possession. He's selling that land. He's, the father's not getting that land back. Immediately, his estate has, has shrunk. But he does it. So it says, he divided his property between them, and not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. You know, it was interesting to me that he wanted to go to a far country. You know, he wanted to get as far away as he possibly could. You know, and we see that the dad actually didn't go after him to that far country. He let him go. He let him go, and it must have been so hard. I can't imagine. So it said he went and he squandered his property in reckless living, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. So he goes out and he, and he just, he wastes everything. He wastes everything. And we're going to see in just a couple of verses that it says he came to himself. And I had never really seen it before. So the father lets him leave, and then he squanders everything. And, of course, no one, no one has given him anything. All his friends have, have fled. When the money was gone, so were his friends. And then it says that a severe famine came in that country, right there. And I thought, yeah, he's about to come to himself. And how many times does the Lord allow the combination of the consequences of our own actions 
but yet along with something that only the Lord can be in charge of, and the combination of that hits us, and then we wake up. Because the famine was at least allowed by God. And the money being gone was a result of his own poor decisions. And so it says that he came to himself. And he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I thought it was so interesting, too, that he knew the heart of the father well enough to know that he was even good to his servants. He had seen it that no one was sharing anything with him in this far country, but his dad was even taking care of the hired help because he was such a good man. I don't think he necessarily doubted the heart of the father. He just didn't really want to be close to him in that moment. So he comes to himself and he says, I'm going to go home. And then, of course, this is when the story gets so good. He says, I'm going to arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to the father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I love this. He gets up, he comes up with a plan, he rehearses what he's going to say, and he heads home. And it says while he was still far off that the father saw him. And I believe it's because every day the father was out there looking for that child to come home. Every day. He didn't go to the far country and get him and drag him home. You know why? Because he didn't need him to just be in proximity of the house. He needed that boy to have a heart change. And so he waited for that to happen. And he knew that he would come home when it did. And so he sees him, and it says he immediately feels compassion for this boy, and he runs to him, which would have been so undignified for an older man back then. They just didn't run. It just wasn't, it wasn't fit for that culture. And he did it because he felt compassion over his son. And it says he ran out there, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, No, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And as I studied this, I just pictured he comes home. He still smells, I'm sure, like the pigs that he had just been with. And it was so interesting to me, too, because, you know, it would have been so uh, repulsive to him as a Jewish man to be living with the pigs. And I thought, yeah, it doesn't take very long for us to live in the far country that we will be living with, with what just a few months before we wouldn't have even touched. 
Because see, our conscience, it gets seared and it, it becomes dull. Our hearing becomes dull and we lower our standards and shame comes. So he comes home in shame. He thinks he's going to have to come home and he's going to have to earn back his place in the family. And the father says, no, he calls to the servant. I want you to go get the best robe. And when I studied that out this week, I realized that the best robe in the house would have been the father's robe. And he says, I see my son and I know what he's been doing and I know he smells bad and he has this speech rehearsed, but I want you to go get the best robe. I want you to get my robe. And before he apologizes, before he earns back a cent of what he wasted, the father wraps him up in this robe, which would have signified dignity and position and honor. You see, the community would have known when they saw this robe on the father, what it signified in his place in his family, his place in the society, that he was honorable and that he was a good man. And the father says, I want him wrapped up in that. That's what I want him wrapped up in. The Lord is so good. The father is so good. He says, I want the ring on his finger. I want shoes for his feet. And this wasn't, the father's heart wasn't that, do you know how much money of mine you have squandered? He didn't wait for that to wrap him up in that robe. He didn't really let his apology get out. No, he just embraced him and he accepted him just like he was because he knew that the posture of his heart had changed. He came back humble. He came back broken. See, the the father knew his son. We know our kids. My kids can walk in the house and I know within two seconds what the posture of their heart is. They don't have to say anything. I know. I know countenance. I know walk. The father knew my boy has come home and he is repentant and I am accepting him. Why? Because he deserved it? No, because the father was so good. And he was so loving. So then the father even goes beyond. (laughs) He says, we are going to have a party. I want you to go kill the fatted calf. I want you to invite friends. I I, I want this to be a big celebration. And you know, back then, meat wasn't just served at every meal. It was expensive. And he was about to throw a very expensive party for the boy who had just squandered a lot of his wealth. Grace. Grace. So he tells the servant, kill the fattened calf. The calf, we're going to have a party because the father is generous. 
And the Lord showed me as I was, I was, I was studying this. His heart is so kind. I love him so much. That when we decide to come back to him, there's a little bit of shame removed just even on the, on the walk back. Because that's a humbling walk. It was no doubt a humbling walk for, for the prodigal to come back home. It would have been more humbling for him to have received his dad's robe. But that would have removed a little bit of his shame, at least publicly. And the Lord showed me that many of us, we will come home. We will accept that forgiveness. But we will not allow him to throw us a party. That that's where we would have stopped. We just said, no, 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 no. It's too much. I wasted too much of your money. We're not going to do this. And what we don't realize is that part of our shame is removed by allowing God to show us his kindness, even in throwing us a party when we don't deserve it. And the Lord showed me, I was like, well, but yeah, but we, we don't feel worthy of the party. And as, as I was just praying about it this week, he said, exactly, but you didn't deserve the forgiveness either. So if we're going to accept one, why wouldn't we accept the other? And of course, that can happen a, a million different ways. Um, blessings, favor, all these ways that God comes and gives us on top of being forgiven. And some of us just can't receive it because we're focused on our unworthiness and we're not focused on his goodness. Some of us don't really know the kindness of God because we won't experience it at that level. And some of that is offered, but it's our job to receive it, to take it. And we just can't imagine why he would want, want to be that good to us. If, we, if I ask all of us, why are we here? We know the biggest reason is to glorify God. What if God is most glorified in you when he throws you a party at your most undeserving moment? Because, see, if he had earned a little bit of that back and then the dad threw him a party, everybody would have been walked in and said, yeah, I mean, this, this son is awesome. He is doing his best to earn this back, and he has a really good father. But when the people showed up that day, they said, this son has just shown up at home, and the father's giving him a party. That father must be awesome. That father most, must be the most loving father that has ever existed. 
What if he's most glorified in just blessing you to death when you are the most undeserving? Will you let him do it? Will I let him do it? So the party gets underway. I guess the younger brother said, yes, we can have a party. (laughs) And it says that the older one becomes angry about it. The older brother, he's outside. He hears the music and the dancing. He calls one of the servants and says, what is going on in this house? And the servant says, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. He could not believe the kindness of that dad. And he goes to him and says, the dad goes to the son. And the son says to him, look at these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And, you know, we just keep seeing the heart of the father. He runs to the younger son, but then he goes to the elder son. The eldest one is outside. He's not going to come in and celebrate. He is mad about this. And the father goes to him. He still pursues him in love and when the older brother says you've never done any of this for me verse 31 says the father says to him son you are always with me and all that is mine is yours I don't hear it as a rebuke I hear it as an invitation. The Lord showed me that the youngest thought he was entitled to all of the blessing and didn't have to do any of the work. But the oldest thought he had to work, but that he still wasn't entitled to any of the blessing. And both were wrong. Both ideas are wrong. Because you see, it's not about the work and it's not about the blessing. It's all about the Father. It's all about the Father. The Father was the treasure. And both of these boys were missing it. And when the eldest said, why didn't you throw me a party? Why didn't you do any of these things? The father says, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. 
And he's saying to some of us tonight who are looking and saying, why have I not received? Why? And, and the Lord is saying, it's already yours. It's yours for the asking. You have not because you ask not. It was always available to him. Always. But his focus was the work. Both sons were knowledgeable of the blessing and the work, but they were ignorant about the heart of the father. If the younger one knew him the way he should have, he could have never left him, ever. Because you see, you don't see the elder brother coming to the father and saying, I have seen your pain. I have seen your heartache. I am so glad that this brother of mine has returned home. He doesn't say that because his heart wasn't for the father. It was about the work. And so often do we fall into that. We think that we have to work ourselves up into this party. We, we, we feel like we have to earn it. We, we can become so busy in working for the Father that we forget the Father. Because that eldest son didn't get to know him out working in the field. The Lord is inviting us to do our work from our love for him, not to earn it, but from a place of adoration for our father. If we work from that place, then we won't have shame. Because see, if we're just working and we're always gauging how we're doing based on our work, we're kind of fluctuating, but we can fluctuate between pride because we think we did earn the party that day and then shame because we didn't do as well the day before and we're just in and out of the father's house. Both of these boys were found outside the house. Their place was inside the house with the father. That was where their place was. Because you know what removes shame? Not working for the father. That doesn't remove shame. You know what removes shame? The father. Just him. It's a who. It's not a what. I know it's convicting, isn't it? So I believe the invitation is that the Lord wants to remove shame off of us. He does, and he can. Some of us are living in shame because we are in the far country. We're there, and we know it. God is convicting us, and we're not responding. We've all been there. It's, it's okay. It's not an indictment. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to come back home. And I want to say this, too. 
I'm amazed at how so many times I talk with people and they will um, feel like they're in a season of difficulty and they wonder whether or not God is convicting them and correcting them over a sin. And what the Lord has shown me, at least in, in my own life, and I think it's probably true for you too, that yes, sometimes the Lord is, um, he doesn't give us the entire game plan. He doesn't uh, reveal himself in every way that we would like for him to. He is always clear in correction. Always. None of us parents would go into our toddlers and give them a spanking and not tell them why. And just say, well, something you did today didn't displease didn't please me. We would never do that, and God won't either. If you feel the correction or you feel like God is trying to speak to you, but you cannot come up with something that you did and he is not speaking clearly about it, it can be shame from the enemy. Okay? Sometimes the Lord will correct us and guilt and shame will fill our hearts. But usually, if it is from the Lord, it is short-lived, and it is for our benefit. When shame and guilt hang around too long, and we don't really know who we are anymore, that is not from the Lord. So he is always clear in correction. We can ask him. We feel shame, Father, show us why. And if you do feel guilt and shame, it's, it is worth uh, self-examination. Some of us have compromise and we don't even see it. I don't think that elder brother thought that he was really doing anything wrong. I think he probably felt very justified in how he felt about that situation. Clearly. You know, I wrote down that, um, y'all know from my accident, I have an injured ankle, and after I walk for a really long time, I'll begin to limp. And what's interesting is I don't know that it's happening. I'm overcompensating for the pain that I feel, but I'm not aware I'm walking differently. And one of my family members at home will say, are, are you hurting? And I'll say, yeah, Why? And they'll say, well, well, you're limping a little bit. And the Lord showed me that sometimes we, we can limp in our spiritual lives too, and we don't see it. And so if you're feeling guilt and shame and you've done a self-examination, go to someone who is trusted in your life and ask them, do you see a limp in my life? Is there something that you see that I don't see? Someone that you can trust who will be honest with you. That elder brother had a limp that he wasn't aware of, which is what made his a little bit more dangerous. The, the younger son came home clearly aware of what he had done and knowing that he needed forgiveness for it. 
the elder brother, he was still, he was still not convinced. Sometimes it, it, the Bible says confess your faults one to another. Accountability is a beautiful thing. Some of us feel like we feel shame because we are looking to our service to give us our identity. And the Lord will just not allow us to get it from there. He just won't. In love. (laughs) But he won't allow us to find our identity in our service. There is no bartering. The elder son, I've worked all these years. I never even disobeyed a command. Don't you even hear that? That is such servant to master terminology. He didn't say, I am your son, and I love you, and let's have a party for me after you throw this party for him. There wasn't any of that. He talked to him like a servant would talk to a master. And that's not who he was. He wasn't a servant in that house. He was a son Yeah, we can ask probing questions sometimes, and the Lord will reveal to us things about ourselves, and he wants to purify us. I would say that most of us want to serve the Lord, and and it be all about the Lord. But how do we feel when if the time comes that a ministry or a business or something that we've been involved in for 30 or 35 years and God has blessed and used our giftings and has glorified himself in our strengths. And all of a sudden he says, you know what? I want to be glorified in you stepping away from that because I'm going to be so glorified in showing everyone part of that community, that business, whatever it is, that it can actually go on without you. What if I'm most glorified in that decision? You see, how we think about that shows us, is it really all about the Lord or is it about our involvement in it? Probing questions. And I'm not saying that I sense the Lord saying, I have a very vivid imagination. I'm just like imagining all these people showing up the prayer room tomorrow morning and be like, we quit our jobs. Amy said that the Lord would be most glorified us and us walking away from our jobs. (laughs) No, I did not. (laughs) I did not say that. It's just that questions like that reveal our motives. Or as moms with our kids, how do we feel when other people minister to our children? Or how do we feel when other people have more influence into their lives for for a season? But it's a good influence. 
How do we feel about that? Because how we, how we feel about the Lord and our kids, when it's comp- from a pure love, we don't care who is getting the truth to them as long as they are receiving the truth. You know, I like to mommy other people's kids too. I taught preschool. I've I've been in school. I've I, I've done that as a supplement. Maybe the the Lord is most glorified in my life when I lend my kids out to other people because that actually requires more self self sacrifice on me. Do I welcome that? And I do. The, the Lord showed me after my accident that the car that we were hit in had a Stone Mountain sticker on it because we had season passes. We loved to go to Stone Mountain. We loved to go up the mountain. We loved to walk around. Well, after my accident, I was the only one who couldn't do that. My kids still could. And I was so thankful for other women who would take my kids and do things with them that I could no longer do. Because I loved my kids and it was about my kids and it wasn't about me. And in the spirit realm, there are other women who can offer things to my kids that I can't offer. And if I want well-rounded children, I will welcome that into their lives. Right now, Alicia is learning how to cook from Mary Beth. I'm so thankful. I, I said this at a GBM, <laughs> talking about personalities. Um, I told you, Alicia's very precise. I'm not. And when Alicia decided she wanted to, to learn how to cook, she came in the kitchen. I'm like, this is going to be so easy. She's like, do we need an apron? No. Do we need measuring cups? No. You just need a bowl. <laughs> You're just going to stir until it looks like it doesn't need to be stirred anymore. You're going to take it out of the oven when it looks done. In the name of Jesus. That's how, that's how I do it. And Alicia's looking at me. If I had said that to Landon, he'd be like, let's go. Give me two bowls. <laughs> I'll stir this and then I'll put it in the oven and we'll have some dinner. <laughs> and I learned <laughs> that I can cook, but I cannot teach anyone how to. <laughs> And Mary Beth has taught home ec before. And so she is teaching my daughter how to cook. Praise the Lord. We had some fabulous biscuits and gravy yesterday morning. And as I ate them, I was like, praise the Lord for Mary Beth Humphrey. (laughs) Because I didn't do anything other than eat them. (laughs) It was glorious. But how much in the spiritual realm? If you want to remove shame, we've got to be near the Father. We've got to get in the house, and we've got to get near the Father. We've got to attend this party. Sometimes it'll be for us, and sometimes it will be for people that we did not think were deserving. And what are we going to do? Are we going to be the elder brother and sit outside? Are we just going to walk in? And are we going to celebrate what God is doing in somebody else's life? That's who I want to be. Because it requires humility. 
Because we learned that if the father is throwing the party, then he gets to make out the guest list. And he invites us to be okay with whoever he's throwing that party for. Even if it's someone who didn't fast last week. Or even if it's someone who isn't gifted like we are. In every business, the CEO of that company could learn something from someone who, who works in the mailroom. They just could. We're all gifted so differently. You know, sharks have quite a reputation. Horses running through a field have quite a reputation. But if you take a shark and you put him in the middle of the land and someone has never seen them before, he's going to walk by and not really find him that impressive. If you put the horse in the bottom of the ocean and expect him to do something, you're not going to be impressed with that stallion because they're not in the environment that God intended them to thrive in. And he is showing me that about his kids. That some of you don't thrive where I thrive, and that's okay. And I certainly don't thrive where some of you thrive, and that's okay too. We're all invited into this house. We're all invited into this party. And it's why no one person should have the final say about every subject. God will put people in our lives. Most of us are married to complete opposites. We are. We have an ESTJ and an INFP. And it can make things very interesting at times. It can make it fun, too. I bring the fun. <laughs> he brings the order. It's okay. We need both. I told him the other day, if I had married someone just like me, we would be happily homeless. <laughs> but we'd be happy about it. <laughs> we'd be staying with one of y'all. <laughs> but you see, the Father comes near to those who are wearing humility. That's who he comes near to. There's humbling and, and walking home and saying, I have failed. And if that's where you are tonight, he is inviting you in. He will clothe you in that robe. There is humbling and humility in letting him throw you a party that you didn't deserve. There's humility in receiving blessings that you know you could never serve long enough to feel worthy of. There's humility in that. There's humility in hearing the singing and dancing of a party going on for someone else who was undeserving. It takes humility to walk in that door and celebrate that. Why am I saying all this? What does this have to do with shame? What it has to do with 
is that the closer you get to the Father, more of the shame leaves. And it is the enemy who makes us believe the lie that it's backwards, that if I can just do enough and serve enough and apologize enough, then I will not feel shame and I can get in next to the Father. And the Father says, no, if you will just come in and get near me, the shame will leave without you having to do anything. Our belief is what keeps us from going close to him when we failed. Because when you get close to the Father, part of why shame leaves is because a self-forgetfulness occurs. You forget the people around you and you kind of forget yourself. Because lavish love will do that. We actually saw that earlier in the story when the father ran to the younger son. It was in his self-forgetfulness that he ran and did this undignified thing to get to his son. Why? Because it said he saw him and felt compassion. And if we can get in and get close to the father Self-forgetfulness will occur, shame will leave, and we will be overwhelmed by the beauty of this father that we're so close to and nearby. And that's where he wants us. That's where he wants us. And don't you want to be there? I do. So whether you're in the far country or occasionally visiting, there's an invitation for that too. Some of us are just not bold enough to just go ahead and leave, but we'll frequent that far country and come back home. The Lord is preparing his bride. Jesus is preparing his bride. You know, as you get closer to a wedding, it becomes more real. You start becoming very aware of, wow, I'm about, I'm about to be married. I'm about to do life very differently. And the Lord is purifying some of us. That our lives are to be lived holy. The Lord hates sin in our lives because it brings death in our lives. And young people, if, if you can hear me on this, that every decision, it's so easy to forget in the teen and the 20s, but every decision that we make, it's like one big recipe of our lives. And, you know, it doesn't take a lot of cumin to ruin a cake, And we have calling on our lives and we have purpose on our lives. And most of what we're doing is to accomplish this goal. We know who we want to be in 20 years. But is every decision reflecting that? Some of us aren't living in the far country, but we'll frequent it on the weekends. 
or will frequent it on vacation. The Holy Spirit does not take vacation. And he does not stay home when you go on vacation or when I go on vacation. He goes with us. Some of us are just standing at the the end of the road and we're longing for the far country. We don't even go there, but we just can imagine what it would be like. And the Lord is just inviting you back in. He's coming to you too, just like he did both of those sons, because he doesn't want you living in shame this year. Some of us are outside the the house like the elder brother, and we're just not happy with what God's doing, maybe with us, maybe with others. Maybe it just doesn't make sense to us. But the thing is, is we don't really need more information to get rid of shame. We just need intimacy with the Father. So wherever you find yourself tonight, worship team, y'all can go ahead and come up. Wherever you find yourself tonight, I want you to know that the Lord is coming for you. He's coming to you. Notice the kindness of that father. He didn't rebuke either one of those sons. He didn't condemn. He didn't go over their list of failures. He just invited them in. And not because they were worthy and not because they deserved it, but because he is good. And he wants to be love on us and he wants to be glorified in us. And he is most glorified to a lost world when he is showing lavish kindness on his kids who don't deserve it. Maybe the best thing you could offer to the Lord tonight is an invitation to receive you back completely undeserved before you work anything off, before you punish yourself, if you'll just let him love you exactly how you came in tonight, he could be most glorified in that. Will you let him do it? He wants to. Let's stand. As you're thinking about where you fit in this story, I also want to bring up a completely different kind of shame, and that is shame that is brought onto you by something that someone did, maybe abuse or words spoken over you, and there is healing for that as well. It's not reflected in this story, but there is healing for that. The shame of of something that happened to you And you need that broken off of you. And God wants to break it off tonight. Maybe you know that you spent 2019 not living exactly how you should have. And maybe it wasn't even a big list of things that you you did, but just maybe uh, you just didn't have the love for the Lord that you wanted. Maybe your love had grown cold. 
Maybe you've just found yourself bored in this whole spiritual life thing. And Jesus is inviting you tonight to come and just say that to him and ask him to just relight that flame in your heart. And he will and he wants to. And some of us, we, we so want to earn it by our good works and we never feel like we're, we're hitting the mark or we're striving and we're trying, but yet we still just don't feel accepted and we don't feel like beloved sons and daughters and God wants to speak to you tonight and he wants to take that shame away. He wants to love on you. So if you feel any of those things, I just invite you to come forward. The worship team, they're, they're going to sing. And Hazen, if you want to come and if you have anything. But will you just allow the Lord to remove the shame and the guilt off of your life? He wants to. Wouldn't it be wonderful to just go into this next year so different and not wearing a cloak of shame, but wearing that cloak just like the robe that the father gave the son that spoke of identity and honor. Would you just let him clothe you with that tonight? Hmm. Lord Jesus, come and minister to us. Y'all can sing.